Hi everybody, welcome back. Uh, this week is Parshas Mishpatim. So we are still in Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus. We're in chapters 21 through about halfway through chapter 24. This week is going to run a bit differently because it's actually a special Shabbos. This week we're going to read Parsha Shkalim, which is a special Maftir and a special Haftorah that we read every year the Parsha, sorry, the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Adar, um, which is this week. So these special readings are designed to commemorate the tribute of money that each Jew would pay towards the temple back when we had a temple. And um, that being the case, the Haftorah is much more closely related to the special Maftir than it is the actual Parsha. But I'm going to give a few very brief details about the Parsha so that we all kind of know where we're at. This week, as I said, it's Parsha's Mishpatim, which in English means ordinances, and as we'll see, that's a very appropriate name for the Parsha. It's essentially, with the exception of a few psukim towards the end, just a very long list of rules that Hashem gives to Moshe to give over to the Bnei Yisrael. So these are some of the more substantial mitzvahs that we'll be responsible for keeping. I'm not going to get into all of them because that wouldn't make a ton of sense with the amount of time that we have, but some that are very important that we should be aware of are the laws of keeping slaves, which obviously this is not something that we do anymore, halakhically or practically, um, but in the world of the Tanakh, these were extremely important halakhas, and they were something that very much set the Jews apart from the way that the rest of the nations in the area would keep slaves. Um, some other things that are in this list of rules are the marital obligations of a man towards his wife, some laws about damages and liabilities, prohibitions against oppressing the convert, oppressing the widow, oppressing the orphan, um, the commandment of ritual slaughter, so shechita, the commandment of shmita, which is the sabbatical year in the land of Israel, that um, we rest the land for one year out of every seven. We have the mitzvah of lending to fellow Jews without interest. We have the first mention of the three festivals, so Passover, Shavuos, Sukkot, and we have the commandment not to cook a kid in its mother's milk, which is the basis for a lot of practical kashrus the way that it looks now. And we have some preliminary instructions for what we'll do and what will happen when we first enter Eretz Yisrael. At the end of this very long list of rules, Hashem summons Moshe up to the mountain. Pasuk says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, ale alai hahara veheyesham. Hashem says to Moshe, ascend towards me, towards the mountain, and stay there. Um, and I will give to you stone tablets and they will have written on them the mitzvahs and the Torah which I, I wrote for you to instruct to the Bnei Yisrael the very last pasuk of the parsha it says Moshe went inside the cloud and ascended up to the mountain excuse me Moshe was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the end of the Parsha. And then, like I said, this week in Shul, the eighth Aliyah is a special reading. So it's skipping a few prakim forward to chapter 30 of Sefer Shmos. So this is the actual section where we get the commandment to give up the half shekel towards the, the temple. So in this section, Hashem commands Moshe. He says, take a census of all the Israelite men aged 20 and up. He gives very specific instructions to Moshe. I'm going to command them to each give half a shekel towards the temple. I don't want you to count them in the census by their heads, but I want you to count the amount of half shekels that you receive 
And that's how you'll know how many people are in Bnei Israel. Um, Hashem also in, includes this, this stipulation that it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you can afford to give more towards the Mishkan. Everybody is going to give up the exact same amount. And the last Pasuk, Pasuk Tesayin, it says, Take the atonement money from all the Bnei Yisrael, and give it over for the service of the tent of meeting, which I'll, I'll note is, is not exactly the temple. It's, it's kind of the proto-temple. So this is how the Bnei Yisrael were giving up sacrifices in the desert before we had a, a sort of a brick and mortar temple that we have in Yerushalayim. The last part of this Pasuk says, it will be for the Bnei Yisrael as a remembrance before Hashem. It will be an atonement for your souls. So to this day, we have the special reading for the mitzvah of Shkalim because the money that, that we just described that everybody owed up for the, the Mishkan, it was due on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So we read this Parsha, this, this section, right before Rosh Chodesh Adar, as sort of a practical reminder to everybody that, hey, this money is due in a month and you need to start preparing, you need to do what you need to do in order to have that ready on time. One last note is that um, back in the times of the Tanakh, half a shekel is not what we think of today as half of a shekel. Today, half of an Israeli shekel is worth about 15 US cents, so basically nothing. Back then, of course, there's not an exact way we can know how much to the cent it was worth, but we estimate that today it would be worth about eight US dollars, roughly. So that gives you an idea of how much money everybody was required to give. So the Haftorah is designed around the special Torah reading that we have this week, around the special Maftir. And this week it comes from Malachim Base, so the second book of Kings. It comes from chapter 12 in that book. And um, normally this Haftorah would actually be from Sefer Yirmiyahu, but um, as I said, it's, it's different this week because of Parsha Shkali. So as usual, I'll give a little bit of context for where we are in the Haftorah. So as some of you I'm sure are familiar, we have two books of kings. There's Malachim Aleph and Malachim Beis. Um, when we study this, for the purposes of learning Torah, we should look at it as just one long book. Um, outside sources that were non-Jewish sources are divided this book in two. Um, for us, that's really irrelevant. It's all, it's all one book. Um, the stories in this book are situated in a time between Shoftim, which is what we learned about two weeks ago, and Yeshayahu, which is what we learned about last week. So it's after the Jews have come into Eretz Yisrael, but before the exile. So while the, um, the kingdoms are happening in the land of Israel. This sefer was written by the prophet Yirmiyahu, and its events span around 400 years of history. It begins with um, King David. It recounts his death. It also tell this, tells a story of King Solomon's rule, um, which was the most prosperous period in Jewish history. It's the time during which the first temple was built, and then towards the end of, of Solomon's life, everything very slowly starts to go south. Um, after King Solomon dies, the kingdom split into two. Um, we start to see a lot of fragmentation between the different tribes, and the residents of the land start to devolve into the state of sinning and sort of 
impurity, however you want to take that word. So the books of, of Kings tell the story of 41 of 44 of the kings who ruled some or both of the kingdoms between Shlomo and the exile. So I'm going to be sending out two resources, two extra little things. The first is a map, and you'll see on the map that Jerusalem is circled. South of that big red line is the kingdom of Yehuda, which is where this week's Haftorah takes place. And north of that big red line is the kingdom of Yisrael, so that's where the ten tribes live. The second resource I'm going to send out for anybody who can read Hebrew is a timeline of the kings of Yehuda and the kings of Yisrael and when their reign overlapped with each other. So you can kind of situate this a little bit better within time. Um, so as I said, this week's Haftorah takes place um, in the kingdom of Yehuda, the southern kingdom, and it's during the reign of a king named Yehoash. So this king is under the very direct guidance of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. And this is a bit of a rarity during this time. We're seeing a lot of corruption. We're seeing a lot of sort of immorality. And to have a king who, who wanted to be under the guidance of the high priest was a bit of a rarity. So he's one of the more upstanding kings during this period. The Haftorah begins with his sort of appointment as king. And when he is appointed, he renews the people's covenant with Hashem. And he sort of recommits that we want to do a little bit of tshuva here. We want to get better. So one of the ways that King Yehoash does this is he creates a new system of appropriating funds within the temple. So people are constantly bringing up donations for the temple. And in the old system, they would be given to the Kohanim and they should be used to renovate, to maintain, to beautify the temple, etc. But in the 23rd year of King Yehoash's reign, he does a little bit of an audit. He goes into the, the temple to see if this is actually happening, and he finds that, lo and behold, it's not. Where the money's going, great question, but people are giving it to the Kohanim, and it's not being used for what it should be used for. He recognizes that the, the temple's not in such great shape, and he says, okay, we need a new system. So he, he partners with the, the Kohen Gadol to, to make this special system for collecting the money, they, they build a special box and they place it near the altar in the base of Mikdash so that they were the only ones that could access the money that was inside of it. So from then on, the, the other priests that were working in the temple weren't able to access the money that people were, were bringing in. And then it would better be um, allocated to, to what the temple needed. So maintenance, beautification, you know, whatever was, was needed at the time. Um, so this is, this is the summary of the Haftorah, of the system. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about why this Haftorah this week, why Parsha Shkalim, etc. So there's a few thematic links between the Haftorah and the special Maftir. So first, it, it bridges the gap for us between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. Um, it helps us understand sort of better how the, the Mishkan in the desert is analogous to the base of Mikdash in Yerushalayim. It also teaches us a bit about how donating money, how giving tzedakah is a spiritual action. It's a healthy reminder that even today, our tzedakah will go up to the service of Hashem, even if we're not directly donating it to a base of Mikdash like um, people were able to do in the times of the Tanakh. Um, but my thoughts on it are that 
The readings this week seem a little bit outdated. I think that we all probably feel a dissonance between the world that the Maftir and the Haftorah are describing and our own world. Um, we, we hear these things and we're probably like, okay, that's nice, but we don't have a temple. We don't give up half a shekel every year. We, we don't do this. This is not practical. And to me, that's exactly the point here. More than anything, I think these readings should serve as a sort of a gaping reminder to us that we don't have the thing that enables us to do so many mitzvahs that are in the Torah. We don't have a base of mikdash. We can't do this mitzvah of giving the half shekel because we don't have anywhere to give it to. Sure, we have tzedakah, we have miser, we have these other ways of giving charity, but anytime we try to draw a parallel between that and giving money directly to the service in the base of mikdash, it, it falls short. It's just not the same. Um, you know, that's, that's not to say that we should sit around moping all day and being depressed that we don't have a base of mikdash. That's not the point. But we always have to have that in the back of our minds. We should feel like there's something missing. And we have to remember that our, our service right now is very much in sort of this bedieva, this not ideal state. Um, I think living in Eretz Yisrael, being so close to Harabais, to the Temple Mount, um, we who live here get this reminder all the time that things are not the way they're supposed to be. We walk down to the coastal and we see that what's on top of Harabais is not a base of mikdash. That is not what should be there. Um, but for those of us that live outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's, it's more of a challenge and it's more something that we have to put work into acknowledging, even though it seems so far from home. So sadly, I mean, we don't have all of the mitzvahs of the base of mikdash right now, but we do have this mitzvah to mourn it and to acknowledge that it's a loss for us and to understand that we're incomplete without it. And this feeling is something that's always accentuated in Tamas and in Av, but it's an awareness that we have to have all year long. That's to say, we're about to enter the month of Adar, we're about to enter this time of elevated Simcha. It's not to say that we're supposed to let it detract from our Simcha and Adar, but it's an awareness that we need to have that we have simcha, we have these material senses of wealth we, we're, we're taken care of, but spiritually we're not where we need to be. Um, and that's something that we say every, every time we say our Shemona Esrei, we say the words, We say, like, Hashem, it should be your will that we will very soon rebuild the base of Mikdash and that we'll have this chilek in your Torah, um, and it's something that this week snaps us back to reality and really reminds us of. So that's maybe something to think about this week before we go into our state of increased simcha and adar, um, and something to, to be aware of and to carry with us this week. So, um, those are my thoughts. Let me know again, if you have comments, suggestions, questions, etc. and, um, have a good job everybody will be in touch next week.